friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPEM Continuum. Anyone listening old enough to remember the early days of the internet, those years in the 90s of flashing type, low-res images, and weird, sometimes embarrassing emails and screen names? It was a heady time, and it felt like the web's main purpose was joy and experimentation. Like we were living in a sci-fi novel come to life, we took on names, genders, preferences, and opinions not our own, surrounded by not more than 256 colors in pixelated squares. Of course, the internet some 30 years later is in many ways a more prosaic place. Like a lot of us, it matured a bit, got more organized, more interested in making money, more corporate, and less escapist. And for a techno-fabulist such as myself, this is okay, because we might be perched on the edge of yet a new frontier as the metaverse begins to shift from an idea to something we can all experience. But will it be safe? Will it be inclusive? Will it let us be wild and weird, but also organized and corporate if we need to be? In this reprisal of their first conversation, Alexandra Deening, head of research and insights for EMEA, interviews Jonathan Lupo, VP of Experience Design, about the nuts and bolts of building a metaverse. What must designers learn so they can create in this space without making us all seasick? How can we build communities that foster the best, not the worst of human impulses? How might this new virtual space expand our horizons, not just offer a knockoff of the precious tactile reality we were all born into? Let's hear Alexandra and Jonathan unpack it all. Hello, Jonathan. Last time we talked about metaverse being one of the biggest social experiments of 21st century. We talked about all the potential risks that metaverse might represent to us both as individual as well as societal level. But most importantly, we also talk about all those positively transformative effects on which will metaverse have on us. So uh, this time, let's start a little bit more on optimistic note. And I think there is no one better to ask than you who has a long-term experience working with virtual environments. So why don't you tell us how can Metaverse be actually leveraged for good? I love that uh, opening uh, <laughs> introduction and transition. Let's, let's be positive for sure. So, you know, I've been thinking, I've been doing a lot of um, thinking about Metaverse, especially because I've been in isolation due to COVID and I've been kind of trapped in my bedroom with VR, which has been both a blessing and a curse. But um, what I realize is that our point of origin is kind of all messed up when it comes to, to metaverse thinking and really dissimilar to how we envision great customer experiences, which is we start with a problem. And, you know, we don't start with a set of hyped technologies that we're gluing together in search of a problem. But we start with like what what beneficial societal or human challenges are we setting out to solve um, with metaverse uh, tactics, um, and I I think you know the base you can see where the investment is and where you know platforms are building around gaming yes entertainment sure you know fashion of course commerce but I see a, a great need in healthcare, life sciences, and enterprise that, um, you know, is just kind of, you know, starving for a solution, like uh, a collaborative metaverse to solve a whole host of problems. And really, um, at EPAM, a lot of the work we do in our AR, VR practices geared towards, you know, a holistic set of challenges in enterprise and healthcare and life sciences in which immersive technologies are really well suited. Um, and so, and also when you think about 
kind of the challenges in keeping people safe, uh, being inclusive, all the things that you so elegantly uh, described and talked about in our last session, you know, these are things that are sometimes addressed in, you know, closed enterprise or work environments, um, sometimes not, <laughs> unfortunately. But, you know, we know that companies are committed to keeping their employees safe, um, being inclusive, you know, having a number of diversity um, and inclusion and equality initiatives, making sure that that's thought of, thought through governance. So, you know, I think potentially we could be um, trying to figure out where to start and starting at the right place in order to create that positive metaverse experience for people. Sounds really good. Now, if you now look at, of course, this is the potential. If you now look at solutions, can you maybe, can we give snippets, bits and pieces of what people can already look for when we especially talk about the life science? What kind of impact can it be having life science? Or maybe look at the learning and uh, training. So what are the kind of parts we should be looking forward to experience in Metaverse, which was not previously enabled by any other technology? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll state the obvious one first, right? We're, we're still in the middle of this pandemic. I'm in isolation, right? I'll take it from my own vantage point. Um, I, I need distraction therapy. I need to escape the, the bedroom, but there are, there are patients who need to escape a hospital. Um, and we already know through efforts such as, um, you know, uh, in the industry to help kids with uh, painful sickle cell um, kind of therapies. There are companies like Kind VR using immersive technologies to get them out of that environment. Um, I can think of support groups where, you know, patients who may not be able or may not be as mobile, meaning uh, from a mobility standpoint, they're maybe not able to leave their homes or you know, um, get out as much, being able to connect through a metaverse, being able to see their doctors um, in a more embodied way. Um, so I think of things like that, where um, the applications of metaverse technology, such as VR, um, are be already being tried and showing potential. I think those are um, some use cases. Of course, there's training and when you talk about that, that's a, a whole nother set of developments in the industry. Let's talk about Magic Leap reemerging with a new hardware device that's specifically geared towards enterprise usage. And we know that training is a solid use case, uh, industrialized enterprise use case for mixed reality, being able to wear lightweight glasses and bring it onto the job site and be able to collaborate and bring all that great intelligence into the scene. Um, there's a rich set of worthy problems to solve that are, are exist in the enterprise and uh, life science domain. Excellent. Now, when we talk about building those solutions, uh, we discussed previously that once we are emerged into virtual reality, our brain starts to work differently, both on electric level, so we produce different brain waves, which is then great, for example, for learning, uh, 
it works differently also on chemical level, we produce more dopamine. So it's going to do something to our brain. It's going to do something to our behavior. So we can maybe assume that there will be different kind of behavior from the users on different stimuli. And I wouldn't logically say, you know, then the experiences that needs to be also built differently in comparison to traditional screen experience building and kind of in real life experiences. How do you think it will, is it going to impact the design in virtual reality and how is it going to happen? Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's another great point. So thanks for bringing that up. For sure, we shouldn't be, when we think about immersive experience, we're not starting from 2D uh, design paradigms and principles and just shoving them into a 3D scene. We have to think natively about 3D. You know, we have to think about environmental design. We have to think about industrial design and ergonomics and human factors and accessibility. Um, but how does that work in a, in an environment that um, our brains think is real? So I, I totally agree with you. It, it, it rewires our brains, right? It has this powerful potential to feel real. And the more that we um, support that you know, that sense of realism in the experience, the more powerful the technologies will be. Like we're, we're just supporting the value proposition of immersive technologies versus, you know, taking people out of that experience by shoving 2D paradigms into, into an experience, which we know is frustrating. It's hard to type in VR and in 3D. It's hard to click on like a drop-down menu, these things make little sense. And yet in in the VR experiences that I've been using, there's still, uh, you know, 2D paradigms, like screen-based paradigms, 2D screen-based paradigms shoved in there that don't, that don't feel right. Uh-huh. So that's, that's the reason I'm so excited to talk to you about this topic, because when it comes to designing for VR, XR, you know, this is not new to you. So you have both, you know, real life experiences, screen experiences, and VR, it's something which you're familiar with. So what are the main pitfalls? We're going to be now having a strong demand of those virtual social environments. Uh, that means we will need to have more and more designers going into this uh, stream. Uh, what is the main shift? Now, if you look at screen designers who will now move into the virtual, and I compare it, I dare mm-hmm. to compare it, you know, decade ago, a couple of two decades ago, we have this move from um, graphic design to screen design, and very many people were designing brochures online, simply, you know, they didn't really grab this difference between print media, and now we're going to go into interactive. Is the same risk to happen when moving and scaling into metaverse, or are there any things which you believe will be very, very much similar? I think it's worse, right? The risk potential is worse because there's safety involved. You know, we have to consider people's safety. And this goes with our topic of our conversation that we had already, which is, you know, how do we, the main, to me, the guiding experience principle when designing for VR or 3D is, is how do we keep people safe? And when you think about that question and that as a principle, you start coming up with all kinds of uh, best practices that you need to think about, you know, how are we ensuring that 
uh, a user, a person is aware of their environment, if they're, you know, totally immersed, let's say in VR, right? How do we give them clues about their actual physical environment that they're navigating while they're in VR because they can't see? Um, how do we make it guided, right? Um, how do we not make them sick? <laughs> you know, a lot of people who are new to VR and virtual environments like that, they get sick. It's a real, it's a real thing. And so, and that, that's due to them feeling like they lose control of their own ex- movements. So if you think about being a passenger in a car, and you know you're not the driver, right? Sometimes I don't know if that's true with you, but I get car sick, and it's yeah. because I'm not controlling that vehicle. So how do we, you know, provide a set of physics that the user understands? It's not alien. They're not floating around in some virtual space and being guided by, you know, outside of their control, being propelled by forces they're not in control of that, that'll make you sick right away. We know that. Um, So, you know, having the user have a sense of gravity, physics, being able to control their movements, these are all um, best practices we employ when creating those experiences in 3D. And also what I had in my past is people getting hurt would try to merge the virtual and physical life. So when people try to drink a coffee, for example, they spill it all over themselves. Uh, when they try to pick up the phone, you know, when they start to move and they stumble across the furniture. So I think there will be a steep learning curve when we start to adopt the VR um, uh, kind of in masses. Now that brings me to the next question. If we need to design for VR, what are the new skill sets that needs to be added to the designer and experience designer toolbox? From research perspective, we now know that we need to start to more go into more cognitive sciences. We are hiring the neuroscientists right now. What new skill set does the experience design need to have to make sure that we design those um, metaverses not just uh, as engaging as possible, but also as safe as possible? I love that question. It's such a big question because design covers so many skill sets um, and experience designing, not just from a production standpoint and where we're delivering design, um, but from a you know an insight collection perspective, understanding the needs of um, you know the people using these applications, domain specific. So if we do go in the direction of you know, enterprise metaverse and experiences that connect with existing kind of medical protocols or life science, you know, we need domain expertise. We need to understand those environments and those ecosystems at the very start. And then, you know, to get more tactical, sure, uh, there's the cognitive science and the human factors understanding and the ergonomics, right? And, And the industrial design and the environmental design those are all relative skill sets and the 3D, you know, design and modeling. That's another whole set of skills that, um, quite frankly, our clients don't have and look to companies like EPAM to be able to scale in order to bring these experiences to life. We, we have to have those skill sets so we can help our clients get their um, initial metaverse offerings um, to market, um, it's just to name a few. 
Yeah. And that brings me to the next question. How are we going to make it scale? So how are our clients can make it scale? And what are the skill sets which can be upskilled rather fast? What are the things that need a little bit more experience? So if you can now cluster it, let's say I'm a mm -hmm. big blue chip company about to go to Metaverse. What is my hiring strategy to build my talent ecosystem? Yeah, it may not be a hiring strategy. I mean, look at, it might be an acquisition M&A strategy. I mean, look at Microsoft. They just, you know, and they're interested in acquiring Activision, right? Because specifically uh, to build foundational metaverse platform elements. And I don't know how you feel about that, but that's a gaming company. It's been in the news. I'm not going to get into any um, politics, but what I'm trying to say is, you know, it may not necessarily be a upskill like by hiring people one by one. It might be a uh, an acquisition of a of a set of skills um, from a from another sector. I see. And when it comes to now, let's be just honest with each other and everyone listening when it comes to metaverse we still don't know how is it going to be and how we how it's going to build one thing we all know is there will be a lot of learning and the more federated the more kind of aggregated this learning can be so we don't need to repeat the same mistake over and over again the better the more kind of design ops will be in place the better so what is the sort of design of strategy for metaverse? Is there something being shaped? Yeah, I think we need to define kind of an offering in order to answer that question. We really need to understand, and I'm not just talking about EPAM. I mean, in general, a company has to define what their value proposition for metaverse is. And, and then you know, that's part of planning, right? You know, first you define what you intend to solve and then you think about how that scales, um, you know, um, and that could be different, right? I mean, there's no one, I think, answer to that question. It depends on what, you know, type of metaverse experience or platform a company is going to offer um, that requires kind of like a pipeline of work and assets and team and governance to deliver. We know, though, for the sake of this conversation, that it needs governance and it needs regulation um, and, you know, foundationally needs a way to keep people safe and safeguards so that the unthinkable doesn't happen on a company's metaverse offering. That's one critical piece of the ops puzzle, governance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And now if you just, for those companies listening to us, what will be kind of three main advices to watch out? So if there is three things, those companies trying to create those responsible, engaging experiences in metaverse are going for, what are the three key takeaways they show three points they should focus on when starting wow there's probably i don't know three is a good number it's a magic I'll number but I'll, yeah. try, I'll try uh, i'll try i'll try to keep it to three but i think making sure that any research and experience is properly um inclusive um and 
that's, you know, uh, design principle, inclusivity. Um, you know, oftentimes we try to envision the ideal experience, but to your point, I think as an exercise companies doing this should try to envision the worst experience that could happen. What could go wrong? Like how many companies think of that when they try to think of the future and then try to safeguard around that? That would be one and in the, in the area of not being inclusive with, with the experience. Another is safety, right? Safety, physical safety. Um, you know, how are we protecting people, making sure that they're not being violated, assaulted? We know this is happening, um, you know, that they feel safe um, and not just from, a, you know, um, kind of what I already talked about in terms of not getting sick, but or bumping into walls or, or yeah. spilling your drink, as you mentioned, which, by the way, very important, you know. Um, so but then I think. I'll give you a number, a, a number three is um, uh, my personal security, my data security, my identity security, um, my money. I mean, we talk about the economic aspect of metaverse and, you know, how do we safeguard that um, and making sure that people's private data, if we do go into life sciences and people have their personal medical health records exposed, how do we keep that secure? So, you know, on a platform of um, principles for uh, making sure that we're creating a safe uh, metaverse, I think those are three good places to start. Very good. And now, last question. If you are about to look forward one feature or one possibility which metaverse will enable you which is your favorite one well i think like the connection obviously it seems so weird because um these technologies before all the hype around metaverse were were deemed antisocial. like vr i mean people used to think there's nothing more antisocial than closing yourself off putting on a headset and just going off on in your own world but the 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 thing is is it's not it it, it actually can be uh, more social and connecting uh, obviously the you know you you can bring up the pandemic again as an example of how we can connect in isolation but i feel like to me that's the most exciting aspect is i can be with people again i i miss it um you know being quarantined but i think that's very exciting possibility but it's also the most terrifying aspect of it because people are not behaving as they should out in the real world as we know and i feel like if we can't control our behavior out here like what's gonna guarantee that we can you know in there or wherever it is so it's it's both exciting exhilarating thrilling and terrifying to me uh, and then we know that uh, there are different directions we can go. It can go the social media trolling, uh, making people feel very unwell. But it can be there is a bunch of studies on a second life when there is actually a bunch of positive behavior being designed. And uh, that's through not necessarily control, but through uh, uh 
the experience design being by default architected in a way that incentivizes people for uh, positive behavior and rewards them for the positive behavior. So uh, I think if we will be building those experiences uh, also from this angle, that will also accelerate the chances to build it right. So that maybe brings me to very last bonus question. Uh, when it comes to experience design, is this going to be also part of experience design um, scope to now? Don't just don't just design the interaction or the experience, the digital experience itself, but also orchestrate the experience between the people interacting within those spaces. You mean like uh, almost like social design? Um, Absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I think uh, I think you got something there. That sounds like an amazing branch um, and a worthy one to create community and to design it in a way in which there's safeguards and you know it's self-governing in a way um, and it's inclusive and diverse and that there are people in a an experienced design team who are experts. In that aspect of, of it, I think is makes great sense and um, sounds like you know um, something that's uh, a worthwhile skill set to look for with new hires, uh, new designers who are going to be creating these experiences. So, hundred percent, love it. Wonderful, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Been a pleasure. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Alexandra Deening and Jonathan Lupo for the great conversation. Cheers to Kit Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coden, and I'm off to change my screen name. Music